You're Wrong, the podcast where we talk trash about the things people love to hate and hate to love. And we're your hosts, Shelby and Matt. Yes, back for another week. It's Oscars week. They happened. <laughs> I'm excited to talk about it, but that's on a whole other episode. We got other <laughs> things to talk about first, but it's a good time. I'm, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling good at the moment. You're getting over cold. Are you, how are you I feeling? know, still. I just sound bad. I feel worse. It's whatever. I feel like I've not been keeping up with the pop culture news because I've just been in this like haze of not feeling good and being grumpy about it. So <laughs> I'm excited for you to tell me a lot of stuff that I don't know. And um, we'll see if I can contribute to the conversation. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, you're you're up to date on Bachelor stuff. So that's what's most important. Speaking (laughs) that I've been subjected to this entire season so far, which has been seemingly 5,000 hours. Oh, Um, you've loved every minute. Have I? Have I? We'll talk talk about it. Uh, We got an email. Um, We didn't get any new reviews this week. So, I mean, like, if you haven't written one, get on it. But... (laughs) We did get an email, which you can always send us at psyourwrong at gmail.com. And it's from um, Tanya. And she talks about a lot of things, including cats. But there's an interesting section where she talks about Rotten Tomato scores. Mm. And I thought it would be um, good to bring it up on the podcast to set the record straight on some things. (laughs) I'm going to read that. P.S. You're wrong about Rotten Tomatoes. I think it's giving the percent of critics that give a positive or negative review. Therefore, Matt with a wider spread does better as usually critics band together. So lots like or lots hate on a film. So more extreme scores happen in Rotten Tomatoes. Shelby does better matching to the Metacritic, which mm-hmm. gives the average score of the critics overall as she goes for the average. <laughs> Examples of where this ch- of where this changes your scoring are Shazam, eighty five percent on Rotten Tomatoes, eighty five percent of critics approve, but sixty five percent on Metacritic's average score. Other examples would be Spider Man, Captain Marvel, Us, Rocket Man. Oh, She's doing her research. She did her like, research, yeah. I know. Really Anyways, just place. thought I'd point it out <laughs> in case you weren't aware of what the Rotten Tomato score means. Did I blow your minds? Yeah. Did you blow your mind, Shelby? Well, we just look like total idiots. <laughs> so I guess, yeah, like Rotten Tomato scores, every critic, it's either good or bad. There's no like gradient. But so, then yeah. Metacritic is looking at, you know, like if they give it four stars, if they give it six right. stars, you know, whatever, how they yeah. average that out. So that does make yeah. sense, I guess. Maybe we've just been putting too much, as a society, we've been putting too much emphasis on the Rotten Tomatoes when really we should be looking at the you know, the detail, the the breadth and depth of these reviews by looking at the Metacritic, which I happen to be better at guessing, so. Um, um, <laughs> you know, but we knew that we were sense. guessing <laughs> Rotten Tomato scores. The fact that you just, uh, well, you know, just weren't able to understand. interpret those yeah. <laughs> or internalize them correctly does yeah. not let you off the hook i I don't know next year we can guess metacritic scores and rotten tomato (laughs) scores i'm sure that would be loads of fun for our audience to listen well i feel like i don't i mean did you know this about rotten tomatoes did that influence your decision in your score 
I I I feel like I je- like vaguely knew that, but I didn't yeah. know that about Metacritic at all. Yeah. And you know, I was just sort of going off of like what other movies I felt like <laughs> had as scores, right. and then basing it on that. So right, yeah, I wasn't doing any complex math on like how many critics are gonna you know do whatever. But yeah, we all know math isn't our strong suit as a as a podcast. So <laughs> although I, you know had some math achievements in our last week's episode <laughs> in the ranking with all of my weird yeah, averaging and totally. uh, two Excel spreadsheets uh, and whatever. Really impressive. The important thing to remember <laughs> here is that we have an email address, which is <laughs> PS you're wrong at gmail.com. Yes. If we get things incorrect, if you have tips, if you have things you want us to talk about, send us an email. We will take a look at it and try to address <laughs> comments, concerns. Also, we have a mailbag episode coming up here sometime in the next couple yes. of weeks. We need to figure out that on the schedule. But So send us questions for that. If you have questions about our lives, our tastes, <laughs> movies, whatever yeah. is on your mind, send them yes. in. Yes. And um, any contradictory thoughts concerns um i was called out for being a feminist who likes the bachelor so we'll be discussing things like that as well so any any questions you have about matt and how he can love award season but rank ready or not above Parasite, <laughs> that's a good question to ask too you know just to get a better a better idea of who we are as people such a shame Ready or Not wasn't nominated <laughs> for Best Picture this year. Could have really totally cleaned up. Oscars. Yeah. Mm. Uh, okay. Well, let's get into the news of the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess since you don't have anything or you were <laughs> sick or whatever, I'll go first. There is a secret Beyonce project brewing somewhere oh. in the world. And somewhere, I don't know yeah. if you heard this news. It no. came out sort of in a very strange fashion. So... Mm. Beyonce's mom was doing an interview with the Wall Street Journal. When when there's a celebrity who's that big, like everybody in their family is, you know, tangentially like somehow like, you know, they have money from something. They're like sort of famous because they're attached. So mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what this interview was that she was doing, but it was something about having to do with like art. And they asked her about all of the art pieces that she has because she's a collector. And she said, I mean, my art pieces are like my children. I just lent some of my art pieces to Beyonce for her new project that she's doing. And I'm looking at my walls and it just makes me sad because I miss seeing all my babies there. So, like, clearly Beyonce is doing something. She has not announced anything yet. (laughs) She asked her mother for this artwork of some variety and then her mom lets it slip in the wall street journal that something's happening so i think Beyonce's is <laughs> probably not too happy with her mom at this point but i'm thrilled because Isn't this, this means like, like it hasn't her mom done something similar before or like shared too much info or something i feel like her mom has definitely like posted pictures and things <laughs> Where sometimes it's like, oh, I don't think that Beyonce would have like approved <laughs> that photo to go up. Yeah. But I, I don't know if she's ever like, yeah, leaked that something was happening. Like Beyonce and I were at the Louvre this weekend. Whoops. Shouldn't yeah. have said that. <laughs> so what do you think? I mean, I'm assuming that this means that there's going to be a new album slash visual album coming out. Because what would you need artwork for if it wasn't for some kind of visual something or another? You know? Uh, commercial. A new makeup line, uh, perfume. Well, Beyonce just launched 
the new oh, Ivy the Park Ivy collection. Park, yeah. So That's I funny. don't see her doing another like thing like that, at least immediately. And we haven't gotten a new album in a while. I mean, like her last album was Lemonade. She had the one with um uh Jay-Z as well, but she hasn't had that. her own album. In- <laughs> I mean, I do, but like also it wasn't a full vision. You know, it's it there was less yeah, yeah. it was less of a of a I don't even know, production. <laughs> Than Lemonade and Beyonce were. So anyways, I'm excited. Hopefully this means that we get something good and new in the new year. And then maybe next year's Grammys won't suck so much. Uh, Well, I mean, they don't have a great track record for celebrating Beyonce either way. So (laughs) I wouldn't hold your breath. But aren't you feeling empowered after the Oscars, Shelby? (laughs) Anything can happen at this point. All women are superheroes. Yeah, yes, that's what I learned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stoked on life. Um, someone who is feeling the burn of judgment and social media um, turning their back on you is our favorite Bachelor contestant, Victoria F., who has been um, a delight, I think, on Peter Weber's season. She is full of contradictions she's like oh i'm shy i've never modeled before i don't want to walk the oh runway. my gosh but then she's walked Ugh. the runway before she's like oh i can never go skydiving i'm too scared don't let it be heights i'm afraid of heights but she has gone skydiving before and so a couple weeks ago or i guess a couple episodes ago because we had two in one week uh victoria f was on yes, a group date did. with the cosmopolitan i don't know creative director whatever and they it was were like very like um America's next top modely. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like an assignment. It was like, ooh, fun date. All you girls get to dress up in swimsuits and you'll pose on this waterfall in Costa Rica and the best photo will win the cover art. I mean, they didn't mention it was just gonna be the digital cover <laughs> art. But anyways, um Victoria F managed to convince this lady that she and Peter had the most chemistry or she looked the best. And so she was going to land the cover. Big deal. Super excited on the show. But immediately after the episode aired, Cosmo came out and was like, yeah, we're not going to release this cover image because of an unfortunate modeling gig Victoria F. had done (laughs) pre-show, which was... She was tapped to model for this Marlin <laughs> Lives Matter group, which is just such a bad idea. But they had decided to get attention, to get some, you know, buzz. They had this whole line of White Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter um, merch <laughs> for Marlins, for fish. And so she modeled this White Lives Matter clothes that were very much patterned after like the confederate flag and like very much not obvious that it's about fish and she had been rightfully chewed out for this and so cosmo the director like released a letter that was like yeah we understand like that wasn't her intention but the phrases and the systems they represent are problematic and so we are just not going to even touch that like it doesn't match our values and so we refuse to promote her on our digital cover so okay so a couple of thoughts on this number one it's confusing to me as to if this line of clothing this 
this like Marlin brand or whatever <laughs> it is. Like, were they? Are they first and foremost trying to protect these fish? And they thought yeah. like, oh, this would be a funny like slogan or whatever to be like white lives matter, but it's not white lives matter. It'd be a, it's like fish yes. or whatever. Or are they just bad people who are <laughs> sort of like tying this message into the fish thing? Because I think it was, I think it was the first, you know. Okay. I think it was just a couple of young dudes or women, I don't know, who were like, this is such a clever idea. Like, it's controversial. It's edgy. People will be like, OMG, what the F do you believe? But then it'll be about fish, you know? Because I sort of feel like that's, I don't know, maybe this is not the same, but like how everybody after the Trump election had those hats that were like, make chicken great again, make whatever (laughs) great again. And it's like, they're all... It's not a like. It's not a racist. Uh, I term guess. That they're I guess. Go out, dude. But know? they're talking about fish, anyways. So that's take one. Uh, I think the real thing here, though, is like all of these <clears throat> girls are psychotic on the show, <laughs> and when ABC approaches Cosmopolitan, oh, yeah. like, "Hey, do you want to do the story or whatever?" They're thinking, "Oh, awesome! Like, we could get someone who's." Like, really cool. Everyone's going to love these girls, whatever. Mm-hmm. As the season is airing, they're like, oh, my gosh, all of these people are bad, especially Victoria F., who's, like, having a <laughs> breakdown every other week, always crying about something real stupid <laughs> and, like, not telling the truth about things. Like, like mm. I'm still confused. She is also the one who went on a concert date and yeah. they show up to the concert and it's Chase Rice and she's like, oh my gosh, I dated Chase Rice, which like yeah. good on The Bachelor for <laughs> booking him and getting The Bachelor Amazing. to pick the girl to go. Yes, like d- wonderful job by the producers. But mm. also then when he was talking about it, he was like, oh yeah, I met her like one evening. She made it sound like they had been in some kind of long-term relationship, but I think it was just yeah. sort of like a one-night stand, like maybe like a weekend kind of thing. <laughs> So I think that Cosmo was just looking for any excuse they could find to bop this girl off the cover. Because, like, they got other people and other things that they could put on there that are going (laughs) to sell better than Victoria F. Like, who is going out to buy this because Victoria F. is on it? Like, absolutely no one. Well, and it's just a digital cover. So it's not not even, like, you buy it. It's just on Well, either way... Good yeah. riddance. And Peter had like a scar on his forehead with the worst like tape job I've ever seen. Oh yeah. So yeah, it was a it was a shock that one she was chosen because I feel like there were a lot of other girls who like flexed their modeling face a lot better than she did. But yeah, I guess I'm not surprised it never saw the light of day, but I would have loved to see that. I wonder if they'll release part of the spread or if they'll choose a new girl to do the digital cover or if they're just like, yeah, no, we're nixing this whole thing like we got our promotion out of it by just being on the show but now we're not following through yeah i mean it feels like they would still do the article or whatever yeah. it was gonna be there they have all the pictures of all the other girls but yeah i don't know interesting um another faux pas that happened this week which i think i think that you probably saw this is barnes and noble decided that they were going <laughs> to sell limited edition diverse editions of um classic novels oh my gosh yes so stupid i forgot all about this oh my gosh yeah so barnes and noble to celebrate black history month decided that it would be a good idea to release 
new versions of classic (laughs) novels. They apparently got some kind of AI that like went through (sighs) classic books that are in the public domain to figure out which ones have main characters where like their race is never explicitly addressed. And then they were going to relaunch these books with... Um, like a ton of different covers that had all kinds of different types of people on the front of them. Yeah. So like Alice in Wonderland was one of these. And so, you know, there'd be various editions. Yeah. Yes. Where there's like a Hispanic Alice in Wonderland, you know, <laughs> an Asian American Alice in Wonderland, like whatever. However, Amazing. one of the characters was <laughs> Frankenstein, which is sort of like, uh, I like you know because that's a monster that was cobbled together in a laboratory <laughs> somewhere so like not necessarily something that people uh. want to see themselves in but also another weird thing is that these that these books were only going to be sold in one store in New York City and mm-hmm. then you could print out the pictures of them online and like I don't know I guess hang them up in your room <laughs> or something if you really wanted to but it just seems sort of like an a odd idea that didn't <laughs> that didn't necessarily like like even separate of all of the like racial politics here did not seem like a good idea in that it's only in one store only for a month you know i don't know it was very very like poorly thought out i think even in that front and then of course when they announced this everyone's like who wants this like how is this helpful to anyone why don't we just have why don't you just promote books by like actual people of color that star yeah. actual people of color in those books like from their perspective <laughs> rather than just being like mm, you know what let's have Anna Green Gables be <laughs> Asian you know it's like mm, I don't know dicey. I loved it it was just like the amount of people that had to sign off on that as a good idea is just shocking to think about it's just like mind-boggling how many loops that had to go through to get approved to get the art done to get them published enough to release in a single store, at least. It's just like, did no one in the room on any step of the way say, wow, this is sort of a weird idea. It's just like, man, I loved this story. It it blew my mind. It felt like something that you would see in like a parody TV show or a skit or something of just like how tone deaf (laughs) promotional people can be sometimes. Yeah, and so then Barnes and Noble, you know, quickly retracted and was like, "Never mind, we're not going to do this at all." I think the covers did. I mean, they were, I thought, pretty beautiful covers, um, mm-hmm. or at least interesting. But yeah, I and I can kind of see how you might think of this sort of in passing as a good idea, but I don't understand how it got through so many people. Oh, yes. Yeah, this feels like something that like yeah. somebody would bring up at a pitch meeting and everyone would be like, oh yeah, that's interesting. And then you'd think about it for five minutes be like, wait, I think yeah. that this is not going to go over well. But yeah, surprise. no, it's just, it's just so pandering to be like, oh, it's Black History Month. Like one, how do we profit off of this? But two, like, wouldn't it be yes. nice if like black people could like see themselves on the covers of all these like white books that are like totally great instead of doing the work to highlight people of colors voices and stories and it's just unfortunate this that this is coming on the heels of like the american dirt scandal and just the continued conversation of how white the publishing world is and so yeah just those those trickle down economics of <laughs> color blindness is a uh, is a bad look but i did remember such a good story yes this was the highlight of a of a drug-induced uh night in but 
Jamila Jamil, bless her heart. She is constantly like on the fringes of these controversial stories or she kind of puts her foot in her mouth or she steps into someone else's lane. And who is she again? Oh, yeah. So she's the star of The Good Place. She's become sort of a body positivity queer ally. Uh, She has like an Instagram account called I Weigh where it's less about, it's about promoting body positivity healthy viewership she's gotten into a lot of tiffs with the kardashians for um, promoting like fit teas and stuff like that but yeah she kind of came on the scene with the good place she plays tahani and so anyways the latest news story with her is that she it was announced that hbo has this new show about um vogue like ballroom vogue like this isn't like um dancing with the stars ballroom this is like the black queer community ballroom and they're doing a whole competition show with it and it was announced that jamila jamil would be the mc and a judge on this show immediately people were upset because one she has she isn't queer she has no relationship to ballroom so why would she be emceeing when there's tons of voices that could elevate that conversation blah 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 it turns out it was like a typo a mass issue because she's not the MC. she's just one of the judges celebrity judges along with a couple other celebrities who aren't really in the um ballroom world but that in the MC would be this ballroom guy so she gets in there tries to correct like overcorrect she's getting in people's twitter mentions being like no 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 this is a mistake this isn't how it happened i'm just the judge but in the process of doing this she's saying things like I'm I'm sorry that this is like what happens, but I have I'm bringing an audience like I have the star power like this is unfortunately the world like I'm not trying to limit voices. I'm trying to highlight these stories and that's like a way to do it is by bringing people in with a bigger audience or whatever, which is true. But just the way you say it is a little bit iffy. And so it all comes to a head because like this whole day, it's just been people are dragging her for being like the MC, she's trying to correct it. People are dragging her for the way she's trying to like pat herself on the back for being this like ally. And they're wondering what business she has in this queer setting. So that evening, she releases a statement on Twitter and Instagram where she comes out as queer. And she, which she admits is like a hard thing for her to do, that she's been struggling with it. She thought she'd sort of come out softly when she added a rainbow emoji to her name. And in this heartfelt letter, she sort of makes a statement that implies she felt bullied into coming out to prove that she belonged on this show as a queer person. And then she was like, but I can't take the hate right now. So I'm bowing out of Twitter. (laughs) And so for the rest of the night, Twitter just laid into her. They were like, you can't just like say you're queer. And that automatically means you belong in the Vogue, like in this ballroom scene, because the ballroom scene one is is for like is much more related to black culture. You're not black. It's for gay culture. You're not gay. You're queer. And it's just like it became this sort of battleground of like, was it a was it a good time to announce this? Is she trying to excuse her? She's trying to, you know, belong somewhere where she doesn't just because she falls under the LGBTQ community. 
people really laid into her. And so then over the weekend, she was quiet. But then she came out like yesterday with another statement that was like, what a week. I'm so sorry that I that my coming out felt in any way, you know, performative or like I was trying to. Yeah, like to, pandering. Yeah. <laughs> or I was trying to distract from the other controversy I'd waded into. It was a whole hot mess, but it has, um, you know, brought a lot of attention to this new HBO show. So I guess in the end, yeah. she was right. She has the she has the Twitter audience to really bring <laughs> attention. Maybe to it was things. all staged. This was yeah. a whole <laughs> plan. Okay, I'm going to announce myself as the yeah. MC. When I'm not the MC, then people will get upset. Then I'll say they're judged. Yeah. Then I'll come out as queer. Yeah, I mean... Good on her, you know. Mess. Yeah. So is she is she still on the show? Do we know this or did, yes. did it already yeah, film? She's still on the show. She's one of the judges. I don't think it's filmed yet. It was just announced as a new reality show. Oh. And so maybe and so she <laughs> Yeah, maybe. That would be pretty rude because then the headline would be, Oh, she comes out and she loses a job. Mm. There's just no way to win. So <laughs> tricky, tricky. This is problematic all the way around. Um, Last story before we get into love it or hate it. Uh, I don't know if you saw this or not, but the rhythm section, the Blake Lively movie that I, I didn't even realize that had come out yet. I thought it was still, (laughs) we were still waiting. No, it turns out it came out last weekend and is the lowest ever grossing movie that came out in more than 3000 theaters. It only made $2.8 million this opening weekend on a budget that was $50 $50 million and then marketing costs on top of it. And I'm just shocked that this got so few viewers based on the number <laughs> of previews that I have had to sit through it in AMC. It feels like they have well, been exactly. running previews for this for like 50 months. They have, but I mean, it obviously didn't endear itself to you. I was no, frankly, I was excited last year when we talked about it. It was listed as one of my looking forward to i think did you go see it no because by the time it rolled around this year Shelby. i was like yeah this is gonna be bad and so i just didn't and Shelby, i had seen red sparrow like what last year <laughs> You're the i was woke supporting member, other women no who <laughs> i was supporting birds of prey <laughs> okay, well that's not enough now you're pitting women oh. against women. Ever think about yeah, that, you're right. Shelby? You're just <laughs> stepping in it all over the place. Dang it! Ah! You just it's can't tricky. Win. Um, maybe you should take a break from Twitter. That would help you. <laughs> yeah, I'll come back and come out as a real woman. Um, yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> no, I uh, yeah, rhythm section. I I lost so much interest so quickly that it just I didn't even bother to like read reviews or figure out what happens. It just yeah. I mean, it, it fully disappeared. I yeah. didn't even know that it was released. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. Love it or hate it. What do you have? What were, what what from your drug-induced yes. coma are you going to bring up? Well, like I said, I went and saw Birds of Prey. And I've got to say, I really did love it. I mean, of course, I was excited. Um, this is directed by a woman, Kathy Yan. It's her first, like, major studio. You know, like, it's a freaking huge DC movie. Um, it was produced in part by Margot Robbie, and it was written by a woman as well. And I really loved it. I had thought it was a lot of fun. It was very zany, bonkers, colorful, like sort of like the Deadpool of the DC universe, almost like uh, Harley Quinn was having a grand old time, breaking a lot of kneecaps and 
doing a lot of glitter bombs. And I thought it was just so delightfully, shamelessly female that it was just so fun to watch. And it was also just like fresh enough that it felt like a fun, sort of irreverent uh, superhero film, which is hard to come by, especially in the DC world where you have like, you know, Batman v Superman and Man of Steel, where it's usually a lot more like dark and brooding um, stories, which they've been trying to veer away from with Aquaman and now this. Um, But there's been a lot of controversy around it, which is interesting because I guess people are calling it a flop. I don't know. Like Twitter was sort of like, oh, how disappointing. Like Birds of Prey only makes 30 million in its opening weekend. But this isn't like Aquaman or Justice League where it costs hundreds of millions. Like this was a pretty small scale DC movie where it costs only like 85 million to make, which um, it's already made back in the worldwide weekend. So it seems sort of premature to call it a flop, but I guess there's a lot of, you know, just the kind of brand of men on Twitter who are upset that the booty shorts are gone and like Harley Quinn isn't like sexy enough for them anymore, which is just crazy because this film is filled with very attractive women, I thought. Yeah, I went and saw the I went to a press screening of this because I was writing a BuzzFeed article about it, which you can find (laughs) on BuzzFeed if you want to go look. I rank all of Margot Robbie's film performances. Anyways, I was at this press screening with the cast and the director and the screener. They were all there. I got to see them. Whatever. No big deal. Um, But I loved it. (laughs) I think the audience that I was with really loved it. It's it's very like fun and spunky and weird. I don't love superhero movies. This Mm -hmm. didn't really feel like a superhero movie, though, because really there's only one part in the entire film, if I'm remembering correctly, where someone does something that's like sort of supernatural. Otherwise, it's just kind of an action movie with people in weird superhero (laughs) costumes. Um, Yeah, yeah, I mean, was it like the greatest movie I'd ever seen? No, but it was a lot of fun. It, It is, though, strange, like, I thought this movie was going to open up. There was nothing else up against it in mm-hmm. the box office, really. Um, you know, this is sort of like a dead period. This was, you know, coming off the tails of Suicide Squad, which even though people didn't <laughs> like it, did very well in the box office. Harley yeah. Quinn was the most, you know, um, well-received character from that movie. So I thought that this yeah. was going to do really well. And $33 million, while is a lot in some way, shapes, and form, is the lowest opening for a DC yeah. movie yet. It's $20 million lower than the Shazam opening last year, which this feels like it would have more kind of cultural cachet to well, push that opening rated, weekend. You know? That's true. That's I think that is a big part of it because yeah. I'm thinking of like who the audience for this movie is. It's yeah. like your traditional comic book audience. I think it's less for them because there's not all of the superhero lore necessarily. And it is all women and it's much more like fun campy action than superhero stuff but then at the same time it's r-rated so if you can't really take like your <laughs> you know 12 year old niece to go see yeah. this movie so i, also I do think it's like they, not a family movie yeah and i think they did a disservice to itself by not having like harley quinn like the title itself was a little 
misleading or forgettable. Like I was talking to my coworkers and I was like, oh, I'm going to go see Birds of Prey. And they're like, I've never heard of that. And I was like, oh, it's the Harley Quinn movie. And they were like, oh, cool. Yeah, I heard that's good, you know, type thing. And so I just don't think I think it should have been sort of like the Harley Quinn and Birds of Prey or something like that. But instead, they sort of buried the lead by having it have this super long name no one was ever going to say. And so it was just whittled down to Birds of Prey. And um, yeah, I'm sure there's just issues where for whatever reason, like, I don't know, like, I, I think like my husband went, he had a fun time watching this. It's like, there's just this weird line in, especially in comic book or sort of genre-y films like Ghostbusters, whatever, where if a female-led version of a genre or film they tend to like comes out, they're automatically assuming they will not be entertained by it, which I think is just like bonkers because it was still like a very fun movie. It just happened to feel more fresh and um, identifiable for women who have sat through many and unrealistic uh, presentation of women in superhero films. The more I think about it, though, the more I do feel like, I mean, Wonder Woman came out and did fantastically. So mm-hmm. I, I think that it is a combination of like the R rating, which I, is this the first DC movie that's been R rated? I, I think it is like was Justice yeah. League and Suic- or maybe Su- was Suicide Squad R? No, I don't think so. And then and then also, yeah, you don't have recognizable names like the rest of the DC movies, with the exception of Shazam, were all, you know, like names of characters that you'd heard before where this like, yes, Harley Quinn, but also Birds of Prey, like who knows who that is. And then all of the rest of the superheroes in this are people that I'd never heard of. So, yeah, Yeah. it's disappointing, but hopefully like good word of mouth will bump the sales in the next couple. Well, interesting breaking news is that um, Cinemark, AMC and Regal have all updated their websites to say Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey instead of the full title. So maybe they've recognized that this is an issue that needs (laughs) addressing. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tricky, tricky. Yeah. Um. I also went and saw a movie this weekend. I went and saw The Assistant, which is a sort of smaller movie. I don't think it's out in wide release yet, Um, but it probably is either coming to theaters near you or will, you know, make its way onto Netflix or something in the near future. Mm -hmm. This is a movie. It stars Julia Garner, who is was in um, Ozark Ozark, and also The Maniac. She's had like smaller roles in a bunch of things but basically she is playing the assistant of a harvey weinstein like figure and it just follows her on a single day of her working you know in like the film industry she has to get up super early she's taking this car into the job um and it just like follows her and all of the stuff that she does she's not assaulted she's just the assistant who's kind of like observing the going-ons that's Mm -hmm. happening in that day and she like realizes kind of what's happening and goes to the hr department and tries to kind of report it and it's just all about the like the power mechanisms that are in these worlds where even if someone does recognize that something's happening they really can't speak up about it yeah um and it was just really well done, I think, from the point of view of how accurate it was. Like, I mean, I 
I've been an assistant, never in a situation like this necessarily, but like, I think anyone who's ever been an assistant sort of like knows how the power structures work in these kind of situations where even if it's Mm -hmm. something a lot smaller that you're trying to change in some way, shape or form, like just how that doesn't work because of the people above you and like all of these old sort of like arcane office politics and so just watching it it was fascinating because it was so accurate and and it's not really like that flashy of a story um and there's not a lot that like happens necessarily in the movie and it's only an hour and a half long but just like the performances and the writing are so good it has um matthew mcfadden from succession in it who is the like hr person at this company and he is just fantastic in his role (laughs) Um, so I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say that I enjoyed it, but it was like very well done. And I was getting like oddly stressed because I was like, oh, I've had to do that. Oh, I've done this. Oh, I've been in that situation. Like very accurate or like things my friends have told me. Yeah. Yes. It was very triggering, but yes, when it hits Netflix or whatever, I would recommend watching it for sure. Yeah. I, I love her and Ozark. So I was excited to see the trailer, even though it felt a little bit too too relatable, I guess. But yeah, I'm glad it's uh, being well reviewed because I think it's interesting to just get in those headspaces and and see sort of the more intimate small moments rather than something like big, like bombshell, you know? Yes, for sure. For sure. Um, Okay, well, this episode has gone longer than we thought it would, speaking (laughs) that we had nothing really to talk about. But Follow us on social media. We're at PSU Wrong. Leave us a review. Send us questions in for our mailbag episode. Send us an email. Um, And we'll be back on Thursday to break down the Oscars. Um, So we'll see you then. Bye. Bye.